Hey there, Pastor Mark Jordan here from Hope Church. Thank you for stopping by and welcome to our online ministry. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can stay up to date on all the content that's released. And while you're online, visit us at our webpage at placeofhope.org. Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him. And we hope that this message today is helpful and inspiring for you as you continue to take your next step on your faith journey. Once again, thanks for visiting us and make sure to check us out at placeofhope.org. everybody. We have not yet had the pleasure or opportunity to meet. I'll let you decide which is the appropriate one for you. (laughs) Uh, My name is Mark. I'm the pastor here at Hope Church, and I am so delighted to see each and every one of you. If you're worshiping with us online, a very warm and special welcome to you as well. I sure am glad that you are here. Uh, This would be an appropriate time, if you've not done so already, to go ahead and pull out your sermon follow-along notes. They are available on the Hope Church Plus app, the very top of the homepage. Lots of other good information there, but they are also inserted inside your info guide, so you have an opportunity to see those. And one of the things that I did this week, which uh, they are also now on the placeofhope.org website on our Hope Plus page, and I posted them early. Usually we posted them before the, or after the service, but today is like... Let's try it before. Why, you know, why not? In case you want to access it, there's three different ways you can get it. Hope Church Plus app, placeofhope.org on the Hope Plus page, and then in your info guide. We are working through the book of Galatians as our current series. And I hope that you have found it as insightful and helpful as I have in preparing and delivering. So as we've looked through the process of getting into the Galatians so far, the overarching themes that we have explored are how there were false teachers that had gone in pretty much right after Paul had established the church in Galatians, the church of the Galatians, and they were trying to set up new standards, so to speak, to put stepping stones or stumbling blocks, as it were, between people's faith and coming to Jesus. And what that meant was that people felt like they had other things that they had to do, other steps they had to take or hurdles they had to clear before they could become part of God's forever family. And so Paul was writing this letter back to the Galatians and saying, no, if you put anything between you and Jesus or anybody else in Jesus, then the crucifixion of Christ was unnecessary because then it becomes about your actions and the things that you do as opposed to what God did for us on the cross in Christ Jesus. And so that's critically important. And then last week, In our message, we talked about how Paul wanted to draw the attention, not just to Jesus, but the crucified Jesus. Because crucifixion was a spectacle. It was horrible. It was horrific. It was dehumanizing. It was disfiguring. And Paul wanted us to remember in those times when we are maybe tempted or inclined to make faith and our relationship with Jesus about anything other than what he accomplished on the cross, then we are participating in trying to re-crucify Christ unnecessary it's actually heresy and so as we move into chapter four after talking about the way that paul is encouraging us if not commanding us to continue to hold and behold the person of jesus who crucified on the cross for us it's important to remember now that this brings us back into the idea of us being part of god's forever family now i mentioned a week or two ago that pastor brent and i have been using this a construct for a series, both with the youth and HSM, as well as for us here in uh, on the Sunday morning worship celebrations. And the youth are about a week ahead of us. 
But that's good because what it allowed for me to do a couple weeks ago was to speak on Wednesday evening about the main theme for chapter 4, which is about adoption and how God adopts us into his forever family. And uh, Brent mentioned after I delivered that message for the students a couple weeks ago that it was so good he thought I should deliver it here this morning. And so uh, I'm going to really today is going to be more like a testimony, as it were, as we move through this. I'm going to share some of the things about our story and adoption that you've probably heard before. But I'm going to tie it together in a way that I have not done here in this space. Uh, And so if you'll bear with me, I think we'll uh, experience uh, how God designs for us to be part of his forever family. Now, the first thing that we take a look at, oops, that's the clicker, right? I'm going to click today so they don't have to keep up with my pictures. Uh, The very first verse I want us to look at today, kind of our framework verse, comes from Psalm 82, verse 3. And you'll see the psalmist commands by God to defend the weak and the fatherless, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. I also like it the way Isaiah 117 positions it to defend the cause of the fatherless. And so what we see in this is that the commandment that God gives to care for the last, the least, and the lost, orphans and widows in particular, uh, is ubiquitous. We are all supposed to take up the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Now, in biblical times, those who were orphaned or widowed, that was their identity. They were known by their status, either by marital status or by their childhood status, if they were connected to a family. And so as this works with what we've discussed so far about God adding us to his forever family, the identity that we have is not what we would deem or term those identity labels on the earth, but with our identity in Christ. So whenever we want to say that our identity is orphan or our identity is widow or our identity is single or our identity is married or our identity is uh, pastor or whatever, wherever we want to say our identity is, if our identity is in anything other than Jesus, then guess what? We've missed the boat. Our identity is supposed to be centered and rooted in Christ and everything else that we are and we have falls secondary to that. And so as Paul is writing about these notions of caring for the weak and the oppressed, the orphan and the widow, he is telling them, telling people, quit looking at their station of life as though that is their identity. Rather, I want you to look at their station in God's heart as their identity. And then as a result of that, because you have a call to live like Jesus and to love like Jesus, then what you do is an outpouring of that. You're serving people, not just serving categories or classifications of people are you with me and so as a result what we see from this is paul draws a very distinct line between these categories that we live with and the spirit and the power of adoption and so adoption becomes our key focus our core focus for galatians chapter four we're going to read galatians chapter four verses six and seven here Uh, And in verse 5, that's where we get just a little phrase that we are to consider our lives through the lens of adoption. And this is what we read, picking up with verses 4, 6, and 7. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son or daughter. And if you are his child, you are also an heir through God. Now, what we see here, when Jesus mentions that 
Abba, Father. Abba is Aramaic for Daddy, or maybe more appropriately, Papa. The relationship that people had experienced with God from this point was a very, very top-down authoritarian type relationship. And so what Jesus was trying to uh, encourage people to realize is that our relationship with God is much more like that with a, a daddy and a child or a papa, as it were. We don't want to be seen as, we don't want to see God as the, the type that just could smite us with lightning, although God has that ability and that prerogative. But Jesus wanted us to see our relationship with God as like a daddy or a papa that we could climb up in his lap and be comforted to share our heart and to share our wounds. And so what we see through this, this whole idea of adoption, is God wants us to realize that no matter where we are or where we were, we have the ability to climb up in his holy and eternal lap and to experience that closeness, the intimacy of a child and a daddy or a papa. This helped to fuel our call to adoption long before we really even knew that's what it was. On October 13th, 1995, Tiffany and I had our very first date. I said, I'll never forget. One of the reasons, because it was on October the 13th, and friends and family said, I'll never last. But hey, we're done all right, you know? So 27 and a half years later, here we are. But on that very first date, Tiffany and I sat out on the back porch at her house, and we talked about adoption and how we both felt called to adopt. As a result of that, we, uh, we wanted to have a large biological family and then adopt special needs kids after that. And uh, God saw a little bit differently. We have our Ethan. Uh, he'll be 21 next month. That just blows my mind. Uh, but we have our Ethan. And so then we decided that we were going to uh, try through medical means to have other children. Uh, that was unsuccessful. And I can remember very specifically one time sitting at a uh, fertility specialist's office. And she said, it's time for you all to move on. To consider adoption if you want to add to your family. And because that had been part of our story all along, it was okay. It took us a little while to warm up to it. But uh, as a family, we moved in and made that decision that we were going to pursue that call of God to take up the cause of the fatherless. There was a quote that Ethan found by Will Wilson, who was the founder of the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, organization, that really helped to put into words the way that we felt. You'll see it on the screen there. It says, to the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. Ethan designed a t-shirt. I meant to wear it today. I put on this one instead, but I'll show it to you in a second. He designed a t-shirt uh, that had this quote on the back, and, and we sold those t-shirts. We made our announcement that we were uh, looking to, uh, to adopt, and uh, we wore those in the church that we were serving down in Noonan at the time, embraced that, uh, and Ethan was only sixth or seventh grade at the time, but that just goes to show how special and important it was for us. Now, when we started that process, we started paperwork and taking classes and things like that, uh, and we were waiting to find out how God was going to, uh, to help expand our family. And through that process, we began to get a little frustrated. And, and the adoption process can be long, can be drawn out, it also can be expensive, and there are many, many points in that process where it's easy to get frustrated. And so we started it right around the, uh, the end of January, and then we get to just about time for Thanksgiving. I was almost at my wit's end. And I was in my, uh, my bonus room, my man cave upstairs, I guess more like a, a man loft. But anyway, regardless, uh, I was in my man cave upstairs, and I was praying, and, uh, and I just felt God say, patience. Almost like he was putting his hand on my shoulder like my daddy would have done. I said, we need to have a talk. And I prayed a few minutes later. I'm getting out of that prayer time, getting ready to go pick up Ethan from school. 
and the phone rings and it's our caseworker and saying, we have found this child in China who was abandoned and we think you are the family for her. The thing is, is her story, her special needs are the ones that you indicated on your preference form that you did not want. That's not exactly like going and buying a car, right? Where you choose your options and things, but there are things that you know you, you probably shouldn't take on. But we decided we would at least pursue it. And then we got these pictures. This was our Mia. Now, if you've happened to see the, the canvas out in the lobby, uh, that is a picture of Mia shortly after we got her home. But these were, uh, these were some of the very first pictures that we got of Mia. And uh, just an absolute ball and fistful of energy and fury. Yeah, so, yeah some of y'all who had an opportunity to meet her know that she was quite something else. Uh, these pictures were a little, uh, a little misleading. Uh, she wasn't mobile, um, but you know, that's part of the whole process to try to get you to, to buy into uh, to taking a child like this. Now, the thing about her story was that she was likely born prematurely with hydrocephalus, which means she had extra fluid on the brain and she had a shunt. But as a result of that, she was thrown away. Now, we don't know if she was in a dumpster or at a dumpster. The Chinese translates kind of both ways. But she was found at a dumpster by a police officer shortly, probably within three days after she was born. And so she spent the first year of her life off and on in a Chinese military hospital. Because in China, they don't have Scottish Rite or Eggleston or Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. It's all basically run by the military. And so she spent the better part of the first year plus of her life living and not receiving nurture in a military hospital. And so we felt compelled to do what we could to get to Mia. Now, her name is a really pretty unique story as well. We got our approval. I mentioned that we started that process just before Thanksgiving. We got our approval to adopt her on Christmas Day. And so her middle name is Noel. Noel. But uh, that wasn't her first name. We were thinking about a family name or a classic name. But then Tiff and I watched a movie. Uh, I think it's Should I Go or Should I Say? Anyway, it was about a young girl who was orphaned in a car accident. And her name in that was Mia. And I said, I like that name. And so we weren't sure. She was like, oh, we'll keep thinking. We'll keep talking. But Ethan that year had gotten uh, a word of the day calendar, one of those peel off, tear off. And so she opened it up, Tiffany did, and sometime in February, ironically, uh, the word of the day was Mia, which means precious, dear one. And so that day, right after Christmas, she got her name, Mia Noel. Now, the reason that's important was when she was in China, she had no name. She just had a designation. Her name was named after the city where she was found and the last name of the police officer who found her at the dumpster. And so we had the ability and the privilege to give her her, her name. And so that began for us a process where we just devoted ourselves diligently to fundraising. One of the things that we did uh, that year was with the Race for the Orphans, and the church helped support us and sponsor us last year in our Race for the Orphans. And that was our primary bulk uh, fundraiser for that event, and we're still, uh, the one that we received last year, we're still benefiting from it. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, and that helped us get to where Mia was uh, the home city in her province, have you ever heard of Wuhan, China? You have. That's where Mia was. Uh, I have it under pretty good authority. She was not the pangolin or, uh, you know, any bat, whatever. <laughs> Poor attempt at humor. But anyway, so Tiff and I boarded the plane. You see, uh, from where we were to uh, Wuhan, China, about 7,800 miles, we spent 24 hours in the air, 
and crossed 12 time zones when we were we spent 24 hours in the air but lost well spent two extra days of our life and that was an ex, it was an exciting thing to see an exciting thing to experience but all of that led to this moment at the child welfare center in Wuhan China Okay, please hold your arm. Yeah. How are you? Did you have a big ride? That poor child was told that morning that she was being adopted. And we were probably the first uh, people of Anglo-European descent that she'd ever seen. And so she's told Mama and Papa that morning, they put her on a train. Those were her caretakers uh, who brought her to us in Wuhan. And uh, that was quite an amazing experience. And you could tell she was stunned, dazed. Now, we also learned after the fact that she probably had either given a Benadryl or something to keep her a little bit calm for the train ride and all the excitement that would take place. And what they do in Chinese adoptions, they have what they call the harmonious period for 24 hours. It's kind of like you get the test drive of a car, right, for 24 hours. You get a 24-hour ability to say, no, I, this isn't for us. Chances are whatever they gave her to calm her down was designed to last about 25 hours. No kidding. <laughs> but we went back. So we had got today on August 24th. The pictures on the screen show are from Adoption Day on August 25th. We go back to the same child welfare center, and we had dressed her up in her little Minnie Mouse outfit. And so there we finished signing off the paperwork, and then Tiffany and I made a financial gift to the orphanage to thank them for helping to care for Mia for the first few years of her life. Uh, and so what they did there was as we signed... We also had to do fingerprints. Use this red ink. You can see it there on her foot, the picture on the far right side. Uh, but they used this red ink so that we fingerprinted and signed our uh, intention to be her parents forever. And then they did footprints of her on the same paper. And I, we think it was one of those ways to communicate. Uh, and they told us that if we were to ever find out, or if they were to ever find out that we had abandoned her, they would know how to find us. Uh, and the things that I've come to learn about that country since, I have no doubt whatsoever in my mind that they would have known how to find us. But they had our fingerprints and Mia's footprints in order uh, to, to be able to bind us all together. And that was her adoption day, the day that she finally became Mia Noel Jordan. And it was a day to remember for sure. Uh, as we spent time in China, we spent two weeks in China, to mention she was not very mobile. Uh, the picture in the center is we were uh, teaching her how to walk. Uh, in the hotel hallways because she just really was not very mobile. She could stand up. She'd wobble a little bit. 
Uh, and we realized that something like Ring Around the Rosies, Make It a Game, could help, could help her walk. Uh, the pictures flanking it on the side are from when we went to the Chan family palace. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the action hero Jackie Chan. This is the ancestral palace of his family. And so the pictures on the left and the pictures on the right are Tiffany and Mia and me in front of the ancestral statues that represent motherhood and fatherhood. Cherished pictures, cherished pictures that we have. Uh, it was an amazing experience for sure. Uh, these next pictures, the one on the left, the full, the full image is us at the U.S. consulate. That was the day that uh, we, signed all the, we finished signing all of her immigration paperwork uh, so that she would be an American citizen just as soon as our plane touched down in New York. Uh, and I can remember thinking as we uh, walked up to the U.S. consulate how beautiful the stars and stripes are after not having seen them in two weeks. To see that flag flapping in the breeze. The night before, we went on this dinner cruise uh, with all the other families that were adopting, like 12 of us who were there at the same time. Uh, and we went on this dinner cruise, and the smog and the fog was so heavy. You could barely see anything. But that next morning, it was clear as could be. And again, walking up there to the U.S. consulate and seeing old glory flapping in the breeze, it brought so much pride to our hearts. And then we got me at home, well, got her to at least to New York, and we felt the, the landing gear touch down. Uh, it just brought so much pride and joy to our lives. Uh, but that was where we began to realize that this child was nuclear-powered. <laughs> Never got tired. Like, ever. If she got tired, she was good after a 10 or 15-minute power nap. And so the, the top picture uh, was us as we landed at Hartsville, Hartsfield, Jackson, the adoption agency and friends and family gathered there to welcome us home. Mia had not slept for like 30 or 36 hours up until then. We were, at, Tiff and I were just barely staying awake. We took the red eye coming out of China and she stayed awake the whole time. And I'm sure she kept about a third of the plane up with her. Uh, but it was an amazing thing. And as soon as we landed on the ground, we're going to go meet our friends and family and the party that was there to gather and greet us. Guess what? She fell asleep hard. And all these people had come to gather with us at uh, Hartsfield to welcome her home. It was crazy. She ended up sleeping like six or seven hours. Uh, but the picture beneath it is the very first picture of the four Jordans uh, with Ethan. You can see Ethan there um, in about seventh, eighth grade. Uh, the very first picture we took uh, while we were at least all awake. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. But one of the things that we came to realize about a month after we got her home, that was when we learned she had epilepsy. And uh, if you're not familiar with the story, epilepsy is what took her life. She had a seizure in her sleep in the middle of the night, and uh, we were not aware of it, and uh, she passed away in, uh, in August of 2019. But this was the first time that we were in the hospital together before she got home. And uh, folks, it was an amazing thing for us to, to bear in mind because I mentioned that she spent about the first year of her life in a Chinese military hospital. And so we had her at the hospital, even though it was at Scottish Rite of Children's Healthcare, she was terrified. She was terrified. She was able to do things and wreak havoc that we did not know was possible in someone of her size. I remember at one point, uh, mom was there at the hospital with us, and she told Tiffany and me, y'all go down to the, to the cafeteria or whatever, get a, get a cup of coffee, get a soft drink or something, I'll, you know, I'll take care of me. And we came back like 15 minutes later, she had completely de-decorated the room. I'm not talking about my mom. I mean, she had pulled immovable pictures off the wall, off the wall. And so she was so wound up with fury 
and fear that they had to bring. It was actually a cage crib, and she was learning how to get out of that. But we realized through that experience what power fear has over the human psyche. And that actually, believe it or not, was when our relationship began to solidify, when our relationship began to galvanize. Because one person in our family was always by her side, regardless of what happened. Then when we got her home the next couple days, or sorry, after the next couple days we got her home, she walked into the front door and she ran to where her toy box was to make sure her toys were still there. And so she picked and she plundered. And after that, she went in our bedroom where we had our toddler bed and our master bedroom at the foot of our bed to try to help mitigate some of that fear. And she got in her bed, and you could begin to see some of that tension begin to release. And then she went into our pantry, and she looked up at the magic room that always produces food. And it was like, I'm home. I'm home. We didn't leave her side. She had toys that were hers. She had a bed that was hers. She had food that was hers. She had a family that was hers. And our relationship began to change. It wasn't about any of these other stepping stones or stumbling blocks. And there were several, or many, as it were. But it was about the relationship that was getting signed, sealed, and delivered. This next screen is one of my absolute favorite pictures. This was the morning of her baptism, where we, uh, we were, this is in our master bedroom, and Mia's looking out the window, and it just has this ethereal glow to it. That was the moment when, even though she wasn't able to take the baptismal vows for herself, our family said, we are going to raise this child until the day comes when she herself chooses to be a Christian. And so all of the trauma and the horror of moving from China to the United States to here she wasn't just part of our family she was part of god's forever family and all that that entailed the full-size picture i want to want to give you a glimpse into some of her personality before we move on there was one day it was one sunday afternoon we were sitting at the house and she comes out of her room walking like this if you've seen the movie the christmas story most of us have have you know a little boy when graphic's little brother he gets dressed in all the his winter gear, she comes walking out kind of like that. And of course, this child had an innate ability to make people laugh. We're like, <clears throat> what, what has she done now? And so we started taking off her drawers. And she took all of her drawers out of the drawer and put them on her body. There were 32 pair of underwear that she was wearing. But uh, as we have come to joke even still, it's just like in Harry Potter, you know, when, they, when uh, Dobie got his sock, you know, Dobie got clothes to get clothes. Mia had her clothes. She had family. And she always was looking for a snack. Picture on the top is her and Yoshi, our almost 15-year-old shih tzu, eating dog food out of the same bowl. And it's like, what do you do? This makes such a great photo op. I, I don't want to stop it. And I actually think, if I can remember correctly, uh, it may be revisionist history, that we did stop her from doing it, but we waited until after the picture was taken because it just made for too good of a, too good of a picture. And the picture below that is our very first Christmas together. Remember, she got her name on Christmas. She became ours. Noel. Mia. Noel. Friends, she was, as I mentioned, a fistful of fury. 
but it changed our lives. And I've got several lessons that I want to, to work through. It changed our lives completely. When we started the process of adoption, we wanted to add to our family. We wanted our daughter. But what we came to realize was the call to adopt isn't about us. It was about the child, the child in need. And so frequently, when we're working through those times of fury and frustration, there were times that Mia would look at us like, I could just kill you. <laughs> and we would say something like, we just want to love you. We just want to love you. We crossed the globe, invested tens of thousands of dollars. All of our time and our energy and our money post-adoption went into her. We just want to love you. We had those moments like the picture of us at Christmas and coming home from the hospital. Uh, we had those moments that, that reminded us that we were family. But there were still those things that came up where we felt that sting of rejection. Can you imagine how that would feel? For someone to put everything they have and everything they are on the line to bring you to a whole new reality and understanding of love and family and that sting of rejection. It was in those moments where I began to experience the fullness of the gospel when the Apostle Paul would write, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many times have you, even in the saving works that Christ has done in your life, have you turned your back on God? Have you shaken your fist? Have you spit your tongue or whatever? How often have you rejected what God did for you? What do you think that does to the heart of God, our Father? Abba, Daddy, Papa. I'm sure it breaks his heart. But not so much that he would ever say, you are no longer worthy of my family. You see, before Mia had any recollection or any knowledge about what we did to get her home, we had already pledged to give her everything, to give her everything. And even though we only had her for a very short period of time, she grew to that point where she knew she had everything. The question of were her toys still going to be there, her food going to be there, her clothes going to be there, those were gone. She knew that she was part of our family and our forever family. Forever. Which leads to something that happened shortly after we made our move from Newton to Cartersville that changed the way that I saw adoption forever. By this point, her epilepsy had become overwhelming for us, all-encompassing for us. And someone very well-intentioned asked me, if you knew then what you know now, would you still have done it? And without hesitation, I was like, well, of course. I mean, that was a shocking answer, right? If you knew then what you know now, would you have done it? And the answer is always, of course. You see, she wasn't our Asian daughter or our Chinese daughter or our special needs daughter. She was our daughter. She had all of the rights and privileges of being a Jordan. 
even though we looked very different, we came from completely different sides of the world, even the clock is upside down. She was our daughter. And friends, that's how God looks at you and me. I mentioned that when we were there on adoption day and we signed our name on the final adoption decree that they fingerprinted us and they did a footprint for Mia to seal our forever family. Do you remember what color ink they used? Red. Your adoption into the forever family of God has been sealed by the red ink as the blood of Christ for your life. It came from his hands and it came from his feet is a way to show you and me of the reality that God is willing to cross oceans, to climb mountains, to do whatever it takes to welcome and to rescue you from the power of sin in your life. We are all now God's sons and daughters when we behold the crucified Christ who spilled his blood so that we might know what it means to live. And he signed and sealed that adoption into God's forever family with the red ink of his blood. And so when Christ looks at us, he looks at us knowing that we are weak without him we are lost without him we are unnurtured without him we are nothing without him and christ himself when he heard the call of the father say to defend the weak and the fatherless to uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed he had your mind your face in his mind he was willing to spill his blood to save you to adopt you into god's forever family because you are weak without jesus you are without God's forever family without Jesus. We are poor without Jesus. We are oppressed by sin without Jesus. But with Jesus, we have everything. A welcoming into God's forever family. So friends, we've got to behold the crucified Christ. In the horror and the spectacle and the dehumanization and the disfiguring of what that crucifixion meant. We've got to behold the crucified Christ. Because that crucifixion of Christ where he spilled his blood is what enabled him to say, it is finished. To sign and seal that adoption decree into God's forever family with the red ink of his blood. So if you've yet to hear that invitation of Jesus to come, may this moment be yours. To where you say, I want to come and no longer be your labeled child. Whatever that label you may give yourself is, poor, widowed, orphan, however that label you might have ascribed or assigned to yourself, it's no longer necessary, it's no longer worthy. You can come and be God's child, God's son, God's daughter. And he invites you to climb up in his lap and allow him to hold you with those eternity-creating hands and arms as you call him Abba. Father, Daddy, Papa. So will you? Will you?
Thank you again for joining us today. We are glad that you stopped by. Again, we want to encourage you to visit us online at placeofhope.org. If you're in the Paulding County area there, you can get service times, directions, and information about all of our awesome activities for children, for students, and for adults. Again, Hope Church is on a mission to introduce people to Jesus and fuel their love for Him, and we hope to provide you the heart fuel you need to follow Jesus. Thanks again.